0: everyone and welcome to another episode of Questions You're Not Asking. My name is Tom French.
1: And I am Chris Morphew.
0: Chris and I are writing a book with responses to a bunch of absurd questions about God and the Bible that you're probably not asking and probably don't need an answer to. So as we prepare to write the book, we are letting you in on some of our discussions. But before we get into our discussion for this week, Chris, how has your week been?
1: It's been pretty good. Um, Did you like my new version of saying my name at the beginning of the podcast? Yeah. I feel like I haven't really nailed that yet in all of the episodes that we've done. And so I I thought I would mix it up a bit.
0: I have been uh, tempted to open the podcast with, hello, this is physician and journalist Tom French. It is Wednesday, the 9th of September. I think that's good. Yeah, Emily told me that I'm not allowed to call myself a physician or journalist.
1: So, I saw a video of Dr. Norman Swan, the actual physician and journalist, and every time I see a video of Norman Swan, I'm always like, no, that is that cannot be what Norman Swan looks like. <laughs> he looks half the age of his voice.
0: Do you feel like he's turned out to be a boy when you thought he was a man
1: i feel like he's turned out to be my older brother when i thought he was my dad
0: i hate it when that happens when when your dad turns out to be your older brother yeah (laughs) it's
1: it's complicated i think (laughs) that either goes in the dna episode or the time travel episode and either way i don't think it's a a good outcome (laughs) my week Look, I feel like anything I say about my week will only make you sad because of how I get to, like, go outdoors and do things. I went to a ramen noodle making class with a friend.
0: Oh, that sounds so fun.
1: Well, so it was mostly good except for two things. The first one was that it was three hours, which is a long time to spend cooking dinner. And the second thing was that it was... One of those, like, okay, everyone come in and and go around the circle and say your name and and talk about why you're here. (laughs) And I quickly discovered that I was the least ramen enthusiastic of the whole group. Everyone else had, like, a ramen story, and my ramen story was my mate from work texting me and saying, hey, I've got a spare ticket. Do you want to go to this thing? And me saying, cool, which one's ramen again? And so <laughs> I was straight to the bottom of the class, but it was it was the first like go to a place and do an activity out of the ordinary thing that I've done probably since March.
0: Oh yeah, I did I did that once. I went to Melbourne airport and got someone to stick a thing up my nose. So that was a new activity for me.
1: Was that three hours worth as well?
0: Well, no, the the sticking the thing up my nose was very quick, but then, but then I got to sit at home for three days, and mm. not go anywhere. So that was longer than yours.
1: That's true. Anyway, how was your week, Tom? What have you been up to? How's well, I've just been
0: hanging out at home. Uh, we we got we had a big event on Sunday when we watched Dan Andrews give us the roadmap out to the COVID normal, uh, which is pretty much the very very slow walk along the road till maybe one day we will get out of our house for more than an hour a day. Now we're allowed for two hours out from September 28th. So that's a big deal. Anyway, nothing has happened in my week.
1: Maybe you could take up skateboarding or something.
0: <laughs> Imagine uh, that.
1: Imagine you once you finally, you know, got all the way down that road, you could like skateboard down the last hill and do a flip over Dan Andrews' car.
0: That's so much cooler than being good at sourdough. Right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Anyway, there's my challenge to you, my COVID challenge. You can do that over the break.
0: The break? What break are you talking about, Chris?
1: Well, I was doing a professional podcast segue to talk about the break that we're having, which is the break between this episode and the next episode, which is going to be longer than a week because, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season finale of Season 1 of Questions You're Not Asking. We will be back later on. I think we should do that thing that podcasts do where it's the same logo but the colors are different. I want to get back into Canva and and make our logo, like, green and purple or something for Season 2. What do you reckon?
0: I reckon that's a great idea.
1: Yeah. Um, we just thought, you know, after our incredible live episode which was in, attended by double digit live viewers it's time to ride off into the sunset because the metaphorical sunset that we can ride down is way quicker and easier than the other metaphorical road that you're heading down to get freedom from your house so we gotta
0: go and dream it all up again do do we have any old business chris
1: uh, yes, I do. I have a piece of old business uh from my friend Alistair, who texted me after our live episode, which we were talking about, uh, if Jesus had an identical twin, would they both have been the Messiah? And he made a very succinct and important point that we had missed that there was only one Adam and therefore there was only one Christ. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think that's good. So, should we then have done what if Adam was a twin?
1: Well, I think that gets you into the very murky waters of did humans evolve from twins, lower life forms? <laughs> are you saying twins are a lower life form? Is that
0: no? I said, did humans evolve from twins? And you said a lower life form, so you're implying that twins are a lower life form. I think they're probably a higher life form.
1: Well, there's two of them. So, is our updated answer that if Jesus had an identical twin, it could be the Messiah, but only if Adam had first had an identical twin.
0: Yeah, I think so. Also, I think what we've learned from this is we shouldn't get Alistair on the show because it would just be very short. He's got too much theological skill to, to have him on this.
1: Yeah, we, I think we trade on having just enough <laughs> theological knowledge, but not too much. I think that's what allows a lot of these conversations to happen. So, here's a question for you. If God creates two very similar looking men from the dirt side by side and breathed life into them five minutes apart, are they twins?
0: <laughs> if it's the same patch of dirt, then yes. But if he gets like some dirt from like the other side of the pond, no. They're just like two kids that are born about the same time in the same hospital.
1: Whereas if you got two ribs from Adam and made two Eves, that that would be the clearest Genesis 2 twin, I feel.
0: Yeah, I also feel that would be the the basis for some weird ancient reality TV show, like Garden of Eden Bachelor.
1: Yeah. Okay, so should we just rule out all biblical twins except Thomas?
0: <laughs> There's only one twin In the entire Bible. No, there's Esau and Jacob. They're twins too.
1: Oh, yeah, we should let them in still. That's true.
0: But yes, we're at least rolling out Jesus and Adam.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. And whatever happens in the middle, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I should also say that I'm not mentioning Alistair's kind review that he posted on iTunes because he asked me not to, and so I didn't even read it. So, there. But if you would like to leave us a five-star review on Amazon or even four stars like that other guy... Or woman. Oh, was it? I can't remember. I thought...
0: I don't know. Well, I don't know. Flash, flash Splash. Oh, okay. Could be a man. Could be a woman. Could be. Just because they're homebrew doesn't mean they're male. That
1: That's true. So, if you want to leave us a review of any number of stars, then today's featured word is kombucha because I just finished drinking one. So... If you'd like to include that keyword, we'll know that we sent you to leave us a review and it doesn't really count. So thank you very much. Anything else before we get into our question for today, Tom?
0: <laughs> no, I'm very ready to get to the question.
1: Okay, but stay tuned because we have an exciting announcement about some crowd participation in the mid-season or the, the inter-seasonal break between season one and season two of our podcast. So get excited. Anyway, Tom, what's our question for today?
0: So, the question this week is, how did the coin get inside the fish?
1: What coin?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of an unclear question, I think.
1: It's a very, this is the most niche we've gone on the podcast so far, I think.
0: Maybe the question is, like, how did the fish get inside the coin? And other miraculous questions. How did
1: the fish get inside the coin would be a uh, (laughs) a whole other kind of miracle.
0: (laughs) Um, Anyway, so we are are referring to the story in the Bible in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27, if you'd all like to open your Bibles and read along with us, uh, where um, Jesus uh, and his disciples arrive in Capernaum. And let's just read the story. The collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, "'Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax?' "'Yes, he does,' he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. "'What do you think, Simon?' he asked. "'From whom do kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, "'from their own children or from others?' "'From others,' Peter answered. "'Then the children are exempt,' Jesus said to him. "'But so that you may not cause offense, Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So we are asking about that particular fish that Peter was sent to catch and how the coin got in its mouth. And this is a question that I think will probably shake the faith of many people as we discuss it. Do
1: you know what struck me as weird about this story every time I read it? If I had been writing this, I would have put a sentence at the end of this little bit that was like, and Peter did as Jesus said, and behold, there was a coin inside the fish. (laughs) But it just like, you're just left to assume. Okay, I assume it happened. It just said, Jesus says, go do it. I'm quite happy to take his word for it. But yeah, I don't know. If I had been writing it, that's how I would have done it.
0: Yeah, I would. I would have given it some uh, some closure there. Have a conclusion to the story.
1: But I think we can safely assume that Jesus knew what he was talking about, and that's what happened. So, Tom, how did the coin get in there?
0: Look, there's there's a few a few different options. I think what most of the scholars seem to talk about is that that there's a fish and the fish. A particular type of fish. Some people say it's a catfish. Some people say it's St. Peter's fish, which is the fish that lives in the lake in Galilee. And these fish uh, are very attracted to su- shiny things on the bottom of the sea. You know, someone was out in the lake and, and their coin fell in the water, and then the fish saw the coin and gobbled it up. And then Peter caught that fish, which seems like that could be what happened but it seems a little bit uh it's just a bit boring i think
1: so at that point the the miraculous aspect is jesus causing that particular fish to be the fish that well first of all jesus knowing that there was a fish swimming around in lake galilee with a coin in its mouth and then organizing it so that when peter threw his line in that was the one that he caught
0: I like the idea of organizing it so that he like organized the fish and booked it in. Like, look, I need you to get to the the wharf at a uh, at seven twenty five and bite that line. That and are we are we locked in? Good.
1: Look, oh, okay, ordained. How do, how do
0: you? I was just wondering how you how you corral the fish. Like that, there's some some fish sheepdogging going on to get the fish to.
1: Well, I wonder there. if Jesus. This is a, a total rabbit trail, but I wonder what Jesus's relationship to animals was. <laughs> as in, there are all these little interesting kind of hints that like, you know, as things have gone wrong in our world as a result of sin, like our it's not just our relationships with each other or with God that are broken. It's also our relationships with the created order. So as the one who knew no sin, And also, P.S., as the one who created the animals, was he... I wonder if he had any kind of extra connection with them. I mean, that seems like a thing that you would hear about at some point in the Gospels if that was something that Jesus overtly did. But, like, could he have, you know, gone up to the edge and be like, here, fishing, hey, (laughs) I need you. (laughs) I got good news and bad
0: news.
1: (laughs) The good news is you're going to end up in the Bible. (laughs) The bad news... Is she going to end up on a hook?
0: It doesn't say the fish was eaten. It just got on a hook. That's true. Maybe you threw it back. Yeah, the fish was pierced for the cost of Peter's and Jesus' taxes. The the fish is really the Christ figure in this story, isn't it?
1: I mean, I could tell that's where you were going, but I stayed quiet about it because I just wanted to let you go there. (laughs) So I guess the alternative is that Jesus magicked, not magicked, miracled, uh, I guess the alternative is that Jesus caused the coin to appear inside the fish, whether he, like, teleported a coin into the fish, whether he created a coin from nothing, although I don't think Jesus would get into counterfeiting.
0: Yeah, if I mean, if, if Jesus makes it, is it actually counterfeiting, or is it the, the most real coin that ever there was?
1: Oh, that's a good point. At
0: very, at very least, there's a small problem of inflation if, if Jesus keeps doing this kind of stuff.
1: That's true. Although by the amount of coins, that like ancient coins that are getting dug up in Israel all the time in the modern day, it feels like it would have been a drop in the bucket compared to all of the dropped coins that apparently, it just feels like people were walking around with holes <laughs> in their pockets, like coins everywhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, some people perhaps kept them in fish.
1: I wonder what if there was more than one coin in there? What if like what if there was heaps? What if there's a whole extra story that, that Matthew cut for space where Like there were just like bottomless coins in there and you could squeeze it every time you needed some money and dunno.
0: There's definitely a fable in that of the fish that gave out coins and then
1: Don't squeeze too hard on the bottomless coin fish <laughs> or yeah, doesn't seem to be the kind of story the Bible's telling. Although, you know, not loving money, there's that.
0: So do you think the fish was always... Like, the fish had a normal life cycle of a fish? Or did did the fish get miracled as well? Or is it just the coin that was miracled? My
1: guess about how this happened... like it, it kind of goes back to, like, God's sovereignty over all things. And so I kind of see it as... Probably the fish was a normal fish. The coin was a normal coin. The, the fish swallowed the coin. And Jesus, through some combination of knowledge and miraculous action, caused that fish to be the fish that was on Peter's hook at the opportune time. That is, that's my best guess. And I think that still is like, miraculous and i think that and i think if god is sovereign over all things then that's still god doing it right that's still god weaving everything together to get a fish into a mouth for such a time as this
0: do you think jesus did he know that that as peter went down to fish that a particular fish with a coin in its mouth would turn up or did jesus have in his mind did he contain all the knowledge of all the fish in the lake? And he he was, you know, tracking them all. And he knew that there was one with a coin in its mouth and that it was going to, you know, be at the right point, at the right time. So Jesus went, all right, off you go.
1: I wonder whether it was like more an example of how in tune Jesus was with God, his father, and whether it was more of a case of, God the Father, in his perfect weaving together of all things, had ordained that there would be this fish with a coin in it. And so then, at the point where Jesus needed some money, he heard from his father that, oh yeah, just send Peter down and go fishing and the money's in the fish.
0: Yeah, I think that that's probably more likely. I think, because what I was actually thinking about in, in regards to this miracle is how it compares to like when Satan says to, to Jesus, you know, turn these stones into bread, and Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or actually, he just says, man shall not live by bread alone. But then he's, you know, referencing the whole quote. The idea being that Jesus, and we've talked about this, that Jesus doesn't do things for his own good. He does them mm. to show who he, who he is and what he's here for. And he's relying on God to be the provider. But here is this miracle, which seems... To be to some degree self self serving because he's paying his tax and he's paying Peter's tax. So it's it's Peter serving, but also Jesus serving. And if it's Jesus that's doing the miracle, then it's Jesus paying his own taxes. But if it's God who's doing the miracle and Jesus is just relying on his father to provide the fish with the coin, then that's a that's a different type of miracle.
1: Mm. And I guess it kind of gets us to like the broader question of how did any of jesus miracles function i mean i know you know there's there's some like you know you talk about the feeding of the five thousand, and there is one reading of that story that's like and when the little boy shared his food all of the crowd was inspired to share (laughs) the food that they had brought with them and the miracle was kindness you know what i mean and so You've got readings all the way from that to what actually happened, which is Jesus miraculously transformed five loaves of bread and two fish into enough for thousands and thousands of people. But I guess in the same way that you can ask the question about the coin and the fish, you can ask like, what happened? I don't know. Like that one to me is one where like when Jesus says, get up and walk and the guy gets up and walk, I kind of go, okay, well, if a scientist or like a doctor was taking scans at that moment they would see whatever damage to the body had occurred was like like suddenly reversing itself before their eyes you mm. know and so it wouldn't be explicable but then like what would you see if you were looking right at Jesus in the moment of the feeding of the 5000 if you were looking right into his lap where he was holding the little thing of bread and fish like would you see him breaking half a loaf of bread off and then it just grows back like it was it all in a basket and he just kept pulling more and more out of the basket
0: yeah yeah i always imagine that it's it's more like you know that that trick where a magician will like pull out one handkerchief and then like a bunch more handkerchiefs will come out and they'll keep being attached and so you're expecting one but more keep coming yeah as you break the bread and then pass it on that there's more there's more bread at the other end that you don't see so no one's looking at the bread and seeing it Miraculously changed because what the disciples do is they go and hand hand it out, and there's enough bread for everyone. And I assume that the twelve disciples didn't go around to all five thousand men and their five thousand wives and their ten thousand kids or however many people there were there, but they took the bread that they had and they handed it on, and those people took the bread and passed it on and passed it on. So the miracle was happening within the crowd and. But the the people who knew what was happening, it was the disciples and Jesus who knew what was going on, but it was was actually occurring again and again all over the place.
1: Oh, so you think it was, it wasn't just Jesus. I mean, it was just Jesus who was doing the multiplying, but as Jesus handed out the bread, that bread, as it was like, because he got them to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties or whatever. And so, so Peter gets a, what, a full loaf of bread from Jesus. Yeah takes it to Johnny Shepard. <laughs> yeah. Who what? He breaks it in half to hand out to his family.
0: Well, well, actually and then what P- happens? Peter gets given a broken loaf of bread because it says that Jesus gives thanks and broke the loaves and then he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. So, so if you have a broken okay. loaf, yeah. you're going to be less likely to notice the changes as you break it and then you hand it on to the next person.
1: Surely, though, if you're someone close to, to Jesus, if you've overheard the conversation between him and the disciples, and then you know that there was only five loaves of bread and two fish, like, people are noticing that, especially if it's happening. Hang on a minute. Did you break any off? Yeah, I did. Look at this. But hang on, there's still this much left. What's going... Like, hang on, let's break it in half again and see what happens.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's true.
1: I've, it has never, never occurred to me that the multiplication was happening anywhere other than, like, in the lap of Jesus.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: As in, so what I, what I picture is either he breaks the bread hands off a bit, breaks the bread hands off a bit, breaks the bread hands off a bit, and it just keeps on, like, reconstituting itself or something, like, re-growing, or it's like the, do you remember that old ad for Tim Tams? where there's a genie and and he comes to this woman and she's like and he says you've got three wishes and she's like okay well for my first wish i want a packet of tim tams that never runs out Mm. and then like she's sitting with her friend or something and she takes the last tim tam out of the packet and it miraculously like refills with tim tams and then i think it's like what do you want for your other two wishes and she wants two more packets of tim tams which is like the biggest waste (laughs) of Time, Except there there was
0: there was that one version where the genie sent her boyfriend to Vladivostok for some reason. I don't know I don't know how that fitted fit in. But oh, I'd forgotten. Anyway, that. I remember that ad, yes.
1: I guess more Tim Tams for her, which again doesn't make sense. But anyway, that maybe is another way to picture it, that as soon as the last loaf of bread leaves the basket, it just goes bloop, 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 bloop and they all reappear inside the basket. Yeah. But I think your, if it is true that what happened was it continued to like... Multiply and multiply and multiply, which there's some beautiful like symbolism in that for what the church would later go on to do. That solves for me the logistical problem of essentially you've got one person handing out like serving 10,000 people dinner, mm. which just takes ages. But if it continues to multiply, yeah, I guess why not? Maybe maybe you've talked me
0: around. Uh, the, the other thing is in John's version of the miracle, it says right at the end, it says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. That's John 6, 14 to 15. So there's some awareness amongst.
1: Yeah, so they clearly saw it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, at least there's an awareness that something exciting has happened for them. It might be that they're in the desert. And everyone's like, oh, we didn't have much food. And then suddenly they had food. And now what they're excited about was just getting fed. But it sounds like there's more than that going on, that they they saw it as more miraculous than just the feeding.
1: Right, because they're all, like, I'm assuming a lot of those are just, like, subsistence living, barely scraping together their next meal. And now here's this guy who can just, like, multiply bread and fish. Yeah. And then, like, later on, they come back and he's like, you're back because of the bread. And then he, you know, goes into, well, what you've actually got to do is eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, oh, this is a different message to the <laughs> one we were expecting. <laughs> and then a bunch of them bail.
0: <laughs> yes. It's lucky they didn't know about the coin and the fish, though, because getting bread is good, but getting money is better. That's a much more exciting miracle.
1: That's true. It's probably why Jesus didn't pay the 5000 and He <laughs> just fed them.
0: Going back to the the fish and the coin, what I noticed in the story is that the, the tax collectors ask Peter, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Because everyone was meant to pay this this temple tax. There was a question about whether Jesus would because rabbis didn't have to. And so Jesus pays his and Peter's tax, but all the rest of the disciples, there are 11 other guys hanging out with Jesus, not to mention anyone else who's hanging around with them. They all have to pay their tax. Only Peter gets his taxes paid by Jesus. Just saying. I don't know if there's a point in there. Just noticed it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. And but like it does also go back to what we were saying. Like because like his whole deal is like he's exempt. Yes. Really, he shouldn't have to be paying it at all. How much was four Drachmas?
0: It was about four days' wages.
1: That's a pretty hefty tax.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think you only have to pay it once a year. You have to pay two drachmas once a year, so...
1: Yeah, okay. Two days wages. Yeah,
0: it's... If you it finding a fish, you're pretty happy.
1: Yeah, that's good. Okay, so I don't feel like we're any closer to answering the fish question, <laughs> but now I'm stuck on, like... Okay, so take the calming of the storm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or take any of the miracles, right? And let's say time travel is invented. <laughs> Yep. and let's say that for none of the reasons we discussed in the previous episode but just for the the for miracle like we just send back the miracle validation squad and it's a team of scientists and they go back and like with all the modern technology and and they've got a you know they've got a physics guy and they've got a a doctor and they've got you know all, every scanner and whatever And they've got like, they need a meteorologist for the calming of the storm. And they just have all of these people. What do you discover? Like, what do you measure? And what could you see in each of these miracles? So like the coin in the fish, maybe they go back and maybe they discover that, yep, it was a fish that swallowed a coin and then got caught. That still doesn't explain how the heck Jesus knew that that one particular fish would be the fish that... Peter caught mm. or that that fish even existed or that that you know that there was a fish you'd eaten the coin and so i think there'd be a certain amount you could measure and then there'd be a certain amount that you'd just be like "Oh, how did that happen and then when you take it to something like the calming of the storm you send your best meteorologists and your best like weather science people they might be able to give you the readings and describe the events but surely the best that they could do would be like that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did.
0: Yeah, they they wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to measure the effect of Jesus' voice on the storm as he commands the wind and the waves to be yeah. quiet and still.
1: Because there are there are some miracles where you know, like the dumb thing about the people sharing their food, or like when Jesus walked on water. Well, actually, it was a sandbank.
0: Yeah. Can I tell you my favorite one? There's a guy at the University of Florida who did a study on the lake at Galilee and said that there's this phenomena that happens very, very rarely where you get the, the right conditions where the, I think the, the air like super cools very quickly and then you get ice on top of the lake. And so Jesus was walking out to the disciples on a patch of ice. So kind of like, there wasn't like the whole lake became ice, but there were patches of ice. And so Jesus kind of just floated out to them on the ice and moved his feet like he was walking. He did like a moonwalk on the ice as he floated up to them. And they're like, oh, hey, Jesus. Uh, or they screamed because they thought he was a ghost.
1: He must have had great balance. <laughs> Maybe the seeming to walk was him just being like, whoa, 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 and trying to keep his balance as he was like skateboarding out over the lake on a sheet of ice.
0: Well, they might not have experienced ice that often and seen people stand on it. So you would think, yeah, as you see someone, you don't recognize, oh, that's someone just on a patch of ice. You see, like you say, someone on the water. Looks like they're walking on the water. And
1: then when Peter came out, at first he was on the ice, but then the ice broke. And he fell down.
0: And then Jesus helped him up and then floated the ice back. He might have had a some way of p- propelling the ice, a little motor on the back of his ice shelf.
1: I'm going to be honest with you, Tom, this doesn't seem like the best theory to describe this. <laughs> but like, yeah, again, I mean, this is a slightly more complicated experiment and you need Jesus to consent to it. But let's say the Miracle Verification Squad rocks up to Jesus and they get their Hebrew ancient Hebrew speaking expert to be like, hey, Jesus, can we get you uh, into a tank? <laughs> and can we just measure what's going on as you walk across the water? We want to just run some experiments around, like, buoyancy and weight and, you know, the density of your your feet compared to the density of the water. Like, it just is like, with all of these things, you'd get to a point of, like, this just doesn't make sense. Yes, Because... Like, the miracles were miracles. Assuming the Bible is accurately recording these events, the whole point of a miracle is there is no physical explanation because a miracle is defying physical explanation, right? It's like it is not a, a weird bending of the normal rules of the universe. It is the normal rules of the universe just being paused or suspended for a moment because... Jesus wrote those things in the first place, so whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're always going to get to a point in the miracle discovery where it breaks down because by its nature, it's miraculous.
1: Yeah, and so at some point with the point in the fish, we hit that roadblock too, right? And so whether or not, like Jesus created the fish from nothing or the coin from nothing or like the fish already had the coin in its mouth and he arranged or whatever the word was that i used before for that fish to end up on peter's hook but like at a certain point unless it was magnets <laughs> maybe the hook was a magnet and because the fish had a coin in its mouth that was the the fish that got attracted to the hook
0: that would make sense if you throw your magnetic hook in and the fish just gets pulled from anywhere in the lake yeah. and just gets attached yeah, I think you're. I think we've solved that one.
1: Very strong magnets.
0: Peter had an electromagnet.
1: That makes sense.
0: Look, if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna have an electromagnet, yeah, you just put it in and you'd suck up all the coins that've been lost in. You take out the middle fish, and just get this coin straight out of the water.
1: But you'd also find okay, so in non-fake archaeology and biblical news, <laughs> you know the Jesus boat in Galilee, the like two thousand year old fishing yeah. boat that got. Is it mm-hmm. like the '80s or the '90s that it first got found, like super recently?
0: Yeah, I've seen it.
1: I feel like it's either 1986 or 1996, but it like it, it is like within our lifetimes. Anyway, they found this 2,000 year old fishing boat, this first century fishing boat, like sunken into the mud on the shore of Lake Galilee, and they got a team to like get it out, and they put on like, and it wasn't actually no more gaps. But they put some sort of like expanding foam around all the pieces and floated the whole thing as like a this big white blob across the lake to the other side. That's how they moved it without damaging it. And then they like chipped off all of the, whatever the casing was. Anyway, the way they dated that back to the first century was because they found some nails and some pottery that had been sunken down with the boat. And so by dating those things, they were able to, accurately date the fishing boat anyway all that to say peter with his electromagnet would have just like sucked up so much junk that the fish would have instantly been crushed to pieces and the coin would have been lost in a just ball of metallic debris so maybe we can rule out the uh magnet theory
0: all right i'll cross the electromagnet off the list it's not a thing Okay. I've, I'm sure that those Bible scholars will be pleased that we've solved sort of <laughs> at least that, that one for them. Yeah,
1: you're welcome guys. I mean, that's isn't that what this podcast is all about?
0: I've been contacted by a lot of people from Bible colleges around the world saying that they're very thankful for us because there's a, there's been a lot of PhDs that people are going to write and they're like, oh, we don't need to now. We can get on with other PhDs because of questions you're not asking solving them for us just
1: our, our service to the world although i refuse to write a wait how long's a phd uh, surely our book is going to be shorter than a phd
0: yeah i don't know
1: thesis thing
0: i've i don't know hundred thousand words or something
1: oh no we're not i did not sign up for that <laughs> although i guess ours is like it's a whole bunch of theses together it's we're more like martin luther Yeah. Maybe that's how we can distribute them. We can like hammer them to the front doors of churches. Just write the manuscript and hammer it up.
0: We're not going to make a lot of money that way.
1: Well, no, but you like, you know, you give them the first one, you give out free samples hammered to the doors. And then you've just got to hope that the uptake from that covers the cost of all the door repairs. And then everything after that is profit.
0: That's true. It's. A, I think that's probably a pretty good reader magnet. Yeah. I've give, been giving my book away online for free, but I haven't tried nailing it to any church doors. But I should give it a shot.
1: Oh, can I tell you? I actually lent your book "Talks That Don't Suck" to someone at church, and I realized it's kind of an insulting book to lend somebody.
0: <laughs> it, it really is. I like. I. I, I
1: like because it is. A legitimately great book full of insights in how to give Bible talks for teenagers. And yet, in the very process of handing it to this poor person, it felt like I was like, well, now you can stop sucking, which is not what I meant to convey at all. I meant to be like, you are looking to to grow in this and here is a tool to do it. But thanks, Tom, you made me offend my friend. So,
0: yeah. I have realized that it is a bad, bad name for a book because you have, one, you can't give it to anyone because it feels insulting. And two, whenever I go and give a talk, people now expect me to give talks that don't suck. So I have stopped myself from ever being able to give a talk that does suck. Although I, d- I think I do. The pan- I definitely noticed that my talks have gone downhill in the pandemic. But um, yeah, I don't know. We're distracted now from... <laughs>
1: it was it was relevant it was it was somewhat no way it wasn't actually it was a sidetrack from the beginning i'm just trying to think of any other miracles that uh so you've got all the healing miracles which i feel like if our verification squad looked at the story of the blind guy and jesus puts the mud on his eyes and then he washes it off and he can see I don't think they would analyze the mud and be like, there's healing properties in the mud. Or, you know, like, I feel like all of that was just... I don't know if theatrics is the right word. Also, in that case, I think he's a blind guy, so you do something tactile. Or, you know, the deaf mute guy that he sticks his fingers in his ears and stuff. Like, that just feels like it's meeting people where they're at. But again, I think that, yeah, the nature of all Jesus miracles is they're miracles. And every time you try and explain it, you can either do the thing that basically paints Jesus as a fraud and say he's an ice surfer or a, a sharing encourager or whatever. Or you can be like, no, this is super weird. I got no way to figure this out except to go, that shouldn't have happened, but it did.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think the point of, well, one of the points of the, the mud and the fingers in the ears and the, the fact that he, he keeps changing the way that he heals people is to show that it's not magic properties in the things that he does, but it's the fact of who he is and what he's able to do that it, he is the one who has power over sickness and health. And he is the one who is bringing the kingdom that which restores people to wholeness rather than any particular way of healing someone. So we don't go out and say, well, here are the three steps to healing a blind person. First, you spit on the ground, then you rub it together. Yeah. Then you put it in their eyes and then you and then you bop them on the head. And that's how you heal a blind person. But it's like, no, the way you heal a blind person is you trust in Jesus and pray that he will do it. And that's how you miraculously heal a blind person, or you, you know, do it the non-miraculous way, and you go to the doctors, and they get to do it too. And one way or the other, it's not, it's not the hocus pocus, but it's it's Jesus at work.
1: Okay, so what you're telling me is that my upcoming book about how to dodge taxes the Jesus way is probably not based on a, a, a true reading of the Gospels, after all.
0: Uh, not not if you're going from the fish one I think
1: well it's it's called squeeze a fish I don't know what the second half is squeeze <laughs> squeeze a fish yeah it's called squeezing every last penny a biblical guide to tax evasion how's that
0: <laughs> that's good i I feel like we're I feel like we we should probably come into land with this one <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, I I think that um, before I derailed the discussion with my um, tax evasion book idea, you kind of wrapped it up really nicely, which is to say that Jesus's miracles, there is no formula. And so how exactly the fish got a coin in its mouth is interesting to think about, but has no bearing on the fact that Jesus did a particular miracle for a particular reason, to achieve a particular purpose and that's what you see in all of the miracles you see jesus using his power and his deity to love and to serve and most importantly to give people an insight into what the kingdom of god that he's talking about actually looks like i've been doing a series of lessons with my year three girls this term talking about like jesus miracles and the question we did three questions what did jesus do What does that show us about God's kingdom and how can we live while we wait for Jesus to return? And we talk about the idea of the miracles essentially being like movie trailers for the new creation. And so the point of them is not to be dissected, I guess, in that sense. The point of them is not to just dazzle us with power or to be a magic trick that we figure out, you know, the secret behind. The point is to go, there is a whole new world coming where the hungry are fed and the sick are healed and the dead are raised and the storms are calmed and everything is as it should be and so that's the thing to get excited about rather than a coin and a fish
0: yeah we we don't we don't want to get caught up on this the fish because that's yeah that's not where we we want to stay Uh, and i think maybe the the other thing then is that If we can't solve the problem of what's going on with the fish, if those miracles are not dissectable, then the greater miracles are also not dissectable. So as we think about what goes on with Jesus as he rescues us from death and welcomes us into new life and the new creation, if we try and dissect that down to a formula that you think this thing, you believe this thing, you pray this prayer, you get into heaven and you take it out of its um, context of being in a relationship of trust in Jesus, then you take the life away from it and you just destroy what it actually is. And so you, ca- you can't divorce the miracles from the, the person who's doing them and the kingdom that he's pointing to, and you can't, you can't take the salvation out of the Savior and the new creation that he's bringing us to. Mm.
1: And I think, like, in the end, the... The best, truest response to any miracle is awe and wonder and worship. It is just going, look at who Jesus is, look at what he can do, and look at what he has done for us and what all of those miracles go together to show us about what he will do for us in the future. And that's pretty exciting. Amen. There we go. We... We brought it in for a landing somehow. (laughs) Okay, so Tom, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go?
0: They can go to tomfrench.com.au where they can find my books and my blogs. Oh, the free book, Talks That Don't suck that we were talking about in the episode. You can get that for free at my website, tomfrench.com.au or you can go to facebook.com twfrench. And you can sign up for it there. And you can watch my 4 p.m. jokes, which is just past a month worth of 4 p.m. jokes. That's a big deal.
1: There's also a compilation of all of the jokes so far. So if people are feeling behind, they can spend 13 minutes of their time catching up on all of the 4 p.m. jokes of the last month. So they should go do that.
0: They should. And where can they find out more from you, Chris?
1: They can go to chrismorphy.com and they will find my book that I am sadly charging money for, Best News Ever, Your 100 Day Guide to the Gospel of Mark. They will also find all of my fiction stuff, much of which is out of print, I keep finding out because I keep having lovely Americans emailing me and saying, where can we find book seven in the Gateway series? And the answer is always, I don't know, I think it's gone. But anyway, if you want to look wistfully at the cover of book seven of the series I wrote with my friends a couple of years ago, knowing that you may never get to hold a copy of the actual book in your hands, you can do that at chrismorphy.com and also my YouTube channel. Now, Tom, we teased a, a an audience participation opportunity for uh, the next few weeks or however long we're away for before season two, what would that be?
0: Yeah, so coming back after the break, our first episode is going to be about who is the best fighter in the Bible. So we're going to match up everyone who can or would hold a sword or a slingshot or a donkey's jawbone up against each other. We're going to have brackets and we're going to see who we think would win. And we want to hear from you about who you think are the best fighters in the Bible what skills they've got, who you think would win, all those kinds of things.
1: And I guess if people want to send that to us, they can either do that on our personal Facebook pages or they can go and send us an email to questions at questions not using the correct your.
0: Or you can go to questionsyou'renotasking.com and you can fill out the form there, which also has been exciting because we've had two questions submitted during the week. So we will... Hopefully be able to get to them in season two as well. So if sending more, we'll have more season two. So that's pretty exciting.
1: We can even do like a question and response episode, like the Bible project, because I feel like we are the yin to the Bible projects, yang. Wouldn't you agree, Tom? Yeah.
0: Look, if there's any any time when we should put in a Buddhist reference, this is it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the Christian version of two complimentary things
0: uh it's it gets very tense to discuss that and we won't do it because uh you know you know how it goes
1: correct that was a test question and you passed thank you for listening this has been season one of questions you're not asking
0: bye bye goodbye